I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of A Finer Touch Construction. We are super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry, clients, and network. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Sub-Zero Group Southwest. If you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may look like, feel like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom in North Scottsdale quite often as it's just around the corner from my office. It's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes helping my clients envision how the appliances might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products, turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your vision to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www.subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom. And today we're super fortunate for this July 4th holiday to bring on our special guest, Jeremy Andrus, the CEO of Traeger Pellet Grills. And Jeremy has just an amazing story. Uh, I've been a big fan of Jeremy for quite some time, and especially reading his story of Traeger and turning around a company culture. I think for anyone listening, it doesn't matter what business, from construction, design, architecture, small business, entrepreneur, whatever you may be, Jeremy gives some amazing insight and advice on the importance of building a great culture. And even, you know, a lot of us as we're looking at hiring and bringing on people to our staff that culture is so important and you have to guard that with everything and what I love that Jeremy shared he talked about his experiences as Jeremy 1.0 and 2.0 and things he learned being an entrepreneur and building different businesses and the successes and then using those understanding what he was good at what he was not good at what he liked and that company culture is just so important and he gives some great insight as well as marketing when to double down when to really look at innovation how to be a disruptor in your industry. Big thanks to him for making time for us. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I am Brad Levitt and couldn't be more excited today to have Jeremy Andrus, who's the CEO of Traeger Pellet Grills with us today. So welcome, Jeremy. Happy to be here. Yeah, so Jeremy made time for us. And I will say this is what's great about the community. You know, I talk about social media and how it's a connector, right? How it can connect us all. And Jeremy reached out to him via Instagram. My wife's a huge fan of his wife, you know, I'm a fan of Jeremy. I have a Traeger grill. Uh, listen to Pat, the Dan Patrick show where he does the meat Fridays, which is one of my favorite uh, bits on, on podcast radio. So Jeremy, 
as you know, the reason I want to bring you on is you have so much to offer as far as entrepreneurship. And so let me just start with this. Were you, did you always have an entrepreneurship mentality? Was that just innate in you? You know, it's a good question. Um, boy, it's something that I understand now. I understand now looking back, uh, I didn't know the word entrepreneurship when I was young, but I was always selling stuff. I was always thinking about product. I was always building, you know, I'll say business plan, but it was never that formal. And, uh, you know, interestingly, um, it is, it's part of my DNA and it took me a while to recognize that in my career. Um, you know, and boy, I, I did a lot. I, I sort of moved around a lot early in my career. I, I was a management consultant. Uh, I was an investment banker. I, I did hotel development. Uh, but I did some random entrepreneurial things as well. Um, you know, I day traded stocks. I, I bought and sold real estate. Um, you know, I, I co-founded a frozen beverage supply company that you have never heard of. Um, and, and it's still alive, but not, not the most successful venture. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's, um, I, I learned over the course of a lot of experiences that what I really love is building and disrupting and sort of thinking differently about business and consumers and product solutions. And I will tell you that as soon as I understood that, my career went from like trying to be successful and having a job and having a strategy to just blissful and fun. And uh, it probably took me 10 years. And like, if you look at the logos in the 10 years from when I graduated from undergrad to when I realized that skull candy was what I loved, there was like, there was a lot of experimentation, but when I found what I loved, and it is entrepreneurship and it is like, and it's more than entrepreneurship. It's building, it's people, it's culture and how culture drives business. It's, it's consumer durable goods. I love, I love hard goods innovation and I love, I love complicated distribution channels. I love lifestyle branding, but I will tell you some of these things I've only figured out in the last two or three years. And so it's been an amazing journey that I, I've been really, really fortunate to say that I have found my love over the last, you know, f 10 years. And now I know what the next 20 years looks like in terms of what I would chase. And it's, it's, been, it's been, I'm an entrepreneur and, I, and I've worked in big companies and I wasn't very good in big companies. <laughs> and it, like, it was really obvious to me. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you talked about just being a disruptor, right? And you talked about just this mindset, this lifestyle branding, which is really attractive. So for someone who's ambitious, you know, who's listening that if they have that entrepreneur, you know, they're always looking at products and, you know, selling, which there is an innate ability to do that. You know, you have that personality. Do you feel that there was a lot of strength that, that came to you because you had different backgrounds, because you day traded, because you did some uh, construction development? because you were in branding and food and beverage, you know, how did all of those different experiences really help you? Because we're going to get into the culture thing, but how did those kind of come together, you know, to help instill that in you? You know, it's, um, when you look at the logos in my career, it's almost mind boggling. It's confusing. And people say, what did all these things have to do with each other? And you know, what I, what I learned early on is that, 
um, deviating from strategy in your career, in my career, was actually really important. Um, for me to experiment with different things uh, really ultimately led me to finding my passion early in my career. And I think had I stuck with my strategy, I would have been, I would have had a reasonably successful career, probably not a very successful career. Um, but I think had I stayed the course, I would have been just fine. But what really accelerated, accelerated my career was a willingness to try things. And, and you know, although these things look random, they were actually all very deliberate. And there were things that I learned with every experience where I said, I'm good at that. I like that. I value that. I hated that. I was bad at that. And each one of them sort of provided some, like, interestingly, you, you, you think, we, we think we know ourselves. And, you know, I remember I thought I wanted to be an investment banker. And this was uh, in between years of, of, of business school. And I, for, there were all sorts of strategic reasons I knew that I wanted to be a banker. And it took me 24 hours to figure out I hated banking. <laughs> now, fortunately, it was an internship and not a long, long-term job. Uh, so I stuck it out for 10, 10 weeks. Um, but, um, you know, what, what, what our mind tells us we will like and where we actually feel passion, they're not always connected. And I, I just decided very early in my career that um, although it was a little bit, there's risk in experimenting because people like I wasn't when I went to Skull Candy, I was completely not employable. I mean, people would have looked at my resume and said, what do you do? Like, what are you good at? Uh, now, Skull Candy, the, my co-founder of Skull Candy took me because I was free and I was willing to work <laughs> for equity and put a little bit of cash in the business. Um, but, um, it, it, there, there is some risk in, in doing what, what I've done, but like, there's so much joy in saying, I, I I'm so happy. I never have to have a job again. Like I love what I do every day, but I really did learn. I mean, you, you, if you ask me about any of those experiences, I can tell you a lot about day trading and I can tell you, I, I can tell you what I loved and I could tell you what what was just like horrible for me. And uh, and I learned from that. And that actually led to my next experience. So uh, there there's real value in that. And, you know, hopefully people figure it out a, a little bit faster than I did. I mean, like I really meandered. Um, but I, I don't I don't begrudge most of the journey because I like where I am. Yeah, you know, it's good advice. I think most people, you know, we think, well, I'm already so far in my career, I need to keep plugging away, right? They're kind of following that strategy that you mentioned. But, you know, most of us are going to be working 60 years, right? Till we're 65, even older. I mean, we're, we're more healthy. And so lives are longer, you know, we have that um, opportunity. And so you can reset, you can learn from that. And I liked what you said, you talked about you know, you would learn from these experiences, you know, the the value, the good, things you hated, your passion. And one thing you said that I picked up on is you had talked about, um, you know, when you went to Skull Candy, even though maybe the experience or at least what's on paper wasn't there, you know, you looked at it as a lost leader that, hey, I'm willing to put some skin in the game. I'm willing to, you know, work for equity. And you hear that term in sales, right? Go after a lost leader, you know, try to find a way to get in the door and perform and build your business from that. And I'm sure that had it, I mean, that had a huge impact to catapult you to where you are today. Yeah, it, it, it really did. You know, it's, um, 
one of the things that this is not an easy lesson to learn. Um, and, and some of these lessons are so obvious looking back, but there, there's no joy in making money if you don't enjoy what you're doing. And, you know, I thought what I wanted to do when I was young was be successful. And then you realize that can mean a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, I remember leaving, I remember leaving a great job in San Francisco. Uh, I was working for Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants. Uh, I was making good money. Uh, I was paying my Harvard Business School loan off like $700 a month over the course of 30 years. And, uh, and I left and I went someplace, uh, and, and we couldn't afford to pay me for two years. Um, but it was the best thing I ever did. And it was interesting. I was, I was in this job. It was a good job. It was good people. It was a good company. Um, but I was bored and I don't thrive well in boredom. Uh, I really underperform when I'm not inspired and motivated. And it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to make that bet. It's sometimes hard to take that leap. And there are ways to do it in, you know, where you can sort of manage your risk. At, at that point in time, I was a single guy. I still had my college furniture. I left it in my apartment and I drove to my parents' basement in Park City. And that's where Skull Candy came from. And so, you know, I, I think I had the luxury of taking a lot of risk in a, uh, in, in a moment. But I do think that there are very sort of deliberate ways that you can manage risk if you're willing to say, like, how much how much I make this year, uh, th that's not what I'm chasing. I'm chasing long-term aspiration, like real satisfaction in what I do. And there is such a strong correlation between those who find something they're passionate about and something they're good at and actually something where they actually make money in business. And like, fortunately, those things work together well. Uh, I can also tell you that I know a lot of people from from business school um, who chased lifestyle and money, and they'll do it their whole career, and they'll never really love what they do the way that I do. And you do get to a point where you say, like, I make a lot of money, but I spend a lot of money too, and I can't, I can't take the lifestyle risk. And that's a hard place to be. And so, you know, that doesn't happen in a moment. It happens like every decision at a time. But I, I think that, you know, if we're thoughtful and we're willing to be like ha have find this intersection between being strategic and being opportunistic and opportunistic means moments come up and there's something there's some instinct that says this could be it. I, I, I think it's uh, you, you, if you over index to one or the other, you don't know where you end up. But I think if you if you. If you balance them, it takes you to a good place oftentimes. So what I like that you said, Jeremy, I mean, going back to that, I mean, there are three things you pointed out. You said it excites you, you know, you're passionate about it, you're good at it. And there's a balance, you know, being optimistic. And, you know, it's it, it's really easy for, um, you know, to say, well, chase experience, you know, not money. You know, we can look at colleagues that are very successful. And you talked about that. Maybe some of your alumni at Harvard Business School that aren't really happy. They're being success. You know, they're successful in their career path, but they're not happy. So. Talk to us about that relationship with Skull Candy because here you are now. You've reset your career. You've had these different experiences. You know, if someone were to be in your shoes, Jeremy, and they're going to come in 
and they want to pursue this opportunity with a company such as Skull Candy that's here now has an opportunity for growth. You know, what was your sales pitch? How did you get in the door? What's the relationship there? How could someone build that? You know what? So um, I, I, people ask me a lot, um, you know, when it, when is the right time to chase my dream? When is the right time to become an entrepreneur? Um, how do I know what to look for? And I think oftentimes, um, like we, we, we're, we're looking for the wrong things. And, you know, so for example, um, I had a lot of people that, that came to Skull Candy and they said, I love the brand. I love this industry. I love music. I want to be at Skull Candy. And my response would be, tell me more. Like, is that, is that really what you should be chasing? Um, you know, because before Skull Candy, headphones were boring. And so we, we, we built something. And I think if it, it, it's easy to uh, mistake your, your motivations, what I would want someone to come in and say early on is, um, I like how you're building. I like the team you're building. I feel good when I walk in this space. I feel energy. Um, there's something about the culture that inspires me. All of these things, they're independent of industry. They're independent of brand. Uh, they're independent of life cycle in a business. And this, this gets back to the notion that, you know, if, if, if you find a place that feels good and you can connect an opportunity that resonates in your mind with an instinct that you have for, an, for, for you know, whatever the opportunity is, that, that tends to be the winning formula. And, uh, I, and, and when you find that, you can sell anything. Like you can sell that to anyone. And I remember finding, um, uh, finding an opportunity I thought was right for me. Uh, I was doing a startup in Dallas. It wasn't tremendously successful. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a long story about why. But uh, I read an article about a guy, um, Mike DePady. He was a CEO of Kimpton Hotels. And um, uh, I read an article in, in Harvard Business Review or something. And I called him and I said, I want to work for you. And he said, I don't really have an opportunity right now. And uh, I learned that business and I knew everything about him and the opportunity. Uh, I called him and said, hey, uh, I'm going to be in San Francisco next week. Can we meet? And of course, he's going to say yes. Uh, and then I bought a ticket to San Francisco. And I feel like if you develop passion for something, um, you will figure out a way to uh, sell the opportunity. But what you also do really well that you don't do when it feels like a homework assignment is you get really passionate about the details of what you're doing. And those details make all of the difference. And so, you know, and I see that in business. If you're not passionate, you'll finish things, but you won't do They won't be done, done, done. Like really, really like you dive into all the details. So I think the, the passion makes you do these things better and it really opens up doors and, and it creates adrenaline and hyper focus to the, to the details that, that just give you the opportunity to be great. Whereas if it's just a job, you just, you operate on discipline and it's just, it's hard to win. You know, I love that you said that there's so many points here, Jeremy, I was taking notes as you're speaking. And what's interesting 
is you were talking about that, you know, successful companies, it, it's independent of the product or their what what it is they're selling. And that really hits home because I think about that, you know, when you think of successful companies, it's not so much, hey, Skull Candy has this brand or, or Traeger has this product or us here at AFT, we're building, you know, this style home. It's the culture behind it, the lifestyle, how you feel, the energy in your building, the energy of your team. Because people always ask, that's the one thing, and we're going to get into how to build a culture, but because you've been an expert at this, but when you think about that and you walk in, there's something different, right? There's something different about walking into Traeger. There's something different about walking into a certain business. And so I think that's the value there because, you know, when and, and you talked about researching behind the scenes, be prepared. You know, if you're looking for an opportunity, do your homework. You know, hey, I'm going to be in your area. And then once it's confirmed, you book that ticket and you get there, right? There's an ambition there. There's a passion for it, which will, in the end, allow you to be successful. 100%. Now, listen, I, I, I see that over and over. I see it myself. And I, I can tell you there, there are jobs that I just didn't do well. And I see it in others, people that really want to be there. And, and, and they're not just sucking the energy, but they're giving energy to the organization. Those are the people that win long term. So, so how do you do that? I mean, let's, I, I, you know, I want to get into the, the Traeger story because it's fascinating to me. You know, I've done some research on that and here it is, you know, there's a product and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, you had, you know, Traeger was a company in Oregon. It was out there to come across your desk. You weren't really that interested, came back. You said, Hey, get interested, Jeremy. You did. And now here you are trying to work remotely, trying to build this company. They had some systems that weren't there that fortunately now you have a background in systems and organization from your experience. Now you're trying to fix a culture. You're trying to relocate. You're trying to rebuild this brand. So walk us through kind of that story. I think it's great for our listeners to understand your background, how that came to be, and then, of course, how you started working on that culture. Yeah, you know, so, so I would start by saying um, for a lot of my career, I didn't understand what culture was. Um, I, could have, I could have answered the question, what is culture? I, 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 underemphasis, I, I underestimated how important it was for me and how much culture drives success, how much it drives decision-making, how much it drives inspiration. And, um, you know, I'd spent a lot of time in startups and cultures grew organically. And, 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 but, but, but never had I built a culture deliberately. Skull Candy had a great culture. And um, there were things that happened over time that I think were, uh, were negative, uh, had, had negative impact on the culture. And I didn't so, really, so what, what is that though? Like, what is something that you have seen that becomes negative, you know, in that culture? So, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a specific example. So, uh, uh, hired someone who turned out to be phenomenal at what he did. And this is an important role in, in, in Skull Candy. Uh, he was culturally toxic. Uh, wasn't a bad guy, but he was a bad fit. And, and, and he, he really detracted from, uh, from from the sort of team spirit, the camaraderie, like real alignment. You, you know, you want to be in the trenches with people you love, people you love working with. And um, this guy was good, and I and I and I found every reason to allow him to stay because he was good at what he does, and I justified um, sort of the, the the negative cultural impact that he had. And I didn't understand looking back. That that's one of the worst things that you can do in a business. It you lose so much credibility as a leader when you allow cultural detractors to stay in your business. You make a very strong statement, and so you know I had a um, 
Skullcandy was was an interesting experience for me. I will tell you that it is it is it is absolutely it's the moment I found my passion. Um, it was an incredible platform for my career, uh, but it was hard. And and I look back at you know I sort of look back at it and I say I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't love it. It was hard for a lot of reasons, and I don't miss it. And I and and it will always have a special place in my heart. But it, but I learned that as a leader, you have to be in charge and you have to deliberately build team and culture. Otherwise, you sort of lose control. And um, now now what I didn't understand was that when you go into an organization that's 25 years old. You just, it's different than a startup. You, you know, their body, there were bodies buried everywhere in this world <laughs> culturally. And I didn't really recognize that because I had never gone in and run a 25 year old company. Uh, so my mindset was this is a really, this is an interesting uh, product. It could be a really great brand, but there, there's a lot to fix. And, and, and I was focused on strategy and operations. And then I literally got one day inside this company and I said, oh my gosh, like the strategy operations are the least of my concerns. Uh, it was just a toxic place. I mean, it was like, it was a place that uh, it took me a few weeks to realize that every day I walked in the trader office, I felt sick to my stomach. And that that's a hard thing to do, especially when, you know, I... It, I had paid off my mortgage and my Subaru. I didn't need a job for money. Uh, and, and walking into a place every day with a, you don't need to be there. Um, it's kind of sickening when it, when, when it just gives you this terrible feeling. And so um, there, was, there was about a 10 month journey for me to really identify with what kind of culture I wanted to build, how I was going to build it, and, and some of the hard decisions I had to make from a team perspective. And um, it really so, started. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let me ask you this, Jeremy. So what's what's fascinating when what it, you know, I think about this. This is something that I've seen and it's really hard to quantify. I look at my company that's very simpler that, you know, there was a, a project manager I hired and super experienced, right? Knows his stuff. He knows what he's doing. He knows construction. And yet it's toxic. His personality was toxic to the team, to the operation. And it was almost a cancer. And, and it's not that he wasn't good at what he does. It's just that that culture there. And it's hard to quantify that. And that's why you see companies with go, good culture, you know, and, and as a leader, you have to deliberately be specific about that. You know, hire slow, fire fast, have that mentality that you're have the right people on board. And so, you know, here you are and it's it's great. You had that experience. But, you know, getting a trigger to give people more of a background you know, th th this was a decently sized company. You did your own shipping. You know, you had these different arms. I mean, how do you even begin to tackle? Mm. You're walking in every day for 10 months and people are like, why are you here? And now you're trying to rebuild this. Like, where do you even start? Oh, Brad, I, I, I this is, um, you know, these some of these things are better stories and experiences. Uh, <laughs> but I, I will tell you that uh, I get a little bit of anxiety thinking about my first year at, at, at Traeger. Um, now, it, it, where, where it started was a, a total misalignment between me and, and the majority owner. So I I made a significant investment personally in this business, but I was a I was a minority owner, and uh, 
the majority owner is a super interesting entrepreneur. I mean, like if, if I gave you uh, his his resume, you'd say, oh my gosh, this guy's impressive. Um, but he turned out he turned out to be a bit of a bad guy. And um, we saw the world very differently. And it was interesting to, you know, as I was realizing how bad the culture was, I got to know the majority owner and I realized there, there was a reason why this culture was bad. And, um, you know, uh, leaders build cultures that look like themselves. Um, and they actually do it not deliberately. We, we hire people that, that, that see the world like we do oftentimes. And he and I really butted heads and uh, it was hard. You know, uh, every time uh, the phone rang and I saw his name uh, on, on my iPhone, I just got to have this pit in the bottom of my stuff. And uh, I, re- I remember a moment hiking, um, uh, hiking down in Zion's with um, a couple of guys. Uh, we served on a board together down in St. George. And, um, you know, I said, I, it's, it's like a three-year deal. I can, do, I can do anything for three years. And they both stopped in their tracks and they said, but why would you? Like, why would you go through what you're going through for three years? Like, is it worth it? And we talked for the next couple of hours. And this was the month before uh, our first formal board meeting in New York. And uh, I went back to New York and I and I built a very, very comprehensive, you know, 100 page PowerPoint presentation that assessed the business strategy, operations, people, culture. And it was very hard hitting and it was very direct. And uh, it, it created a very uncomfortable moment in this in this in this board meeting that that ultimately led to my ability to rebuild the culture. Um, you, you know, the majority owner uh, didn't say much for four hours, and this guy, this guy he's got he's got a big personality. So I'd never seen him not say <laughs> something. Uh, he barely heard a word. He stood up at the at the end of the meeting and he pounded his fist on the on the table. And he said, I disagree with every effing word on every effing slide of this entire effing presentation. And at this point in time, like it's and, and he's like spits coming out is at this point in time, like I was just ready for the fight because it wasn't going to work. And um, it, long story short, uh, we found a way uh, to, to buy him out uh, a month later. And that's what gave me the ability to step back and say, I will do anything to change this culture. I will not come to this office. I will not be a part of an organization that doesn't respect people, uh, that doesn't respect uh, innovation, that doesn't want to work together, that doesn't want to be there, that does not want to collaborate. And I'll tell you that the, the next six months was an interesting journey. I really did my best to fix that culture. And uh, there was a moment and it was a very, like it was a very hard experience that we went through as a company where I said, this is over. Like this, this team, we're, we're done. And um, ended up, ended up um, y- you know, standing in front of the company and saying, um, we're moving. We're moving from Oregon to Utah, and uh, most most of most of you are not invited to join us. 
So let me ask you this because this is really important in that story. So you you know earlier in the conversation on this podcast you had talked about being disruptor, right? That's what's a pat you know a passion is being a disruptor, and here you are now disrupting a company, a board, the majority owner, and finding a way to, you know to really change this culture. And what I like that you said, Jeremy, you said the important part of leadership, you know, we as leaders, we build cultures such as ourselves. And and that's true in society, right? Most of us seem to network and associate with people that are like-minded and similar to us. And, you know, we're it's, it's inherent in us. But what's really important is that you have to sell a vision. So as an owner, entrepreneur, business, whatever you have, you have to sell the vision of not where your company is today, but where you're going. And in essence, that's what you saw. You're saying, hey, I see where we're at, but that's not who we are. I want to be here. I want the company to be here. We need to get either you're on board, you're on the train, or you're off the train. And it's that simple. You know, so now that you have the power to do that, you know, how are you conveying that? How did you convey that to a lot of people in the organization that, hey, it's, you know, we're fixing this. This is where we're going. Yeah, you know, so I, I think there were, there, there were a couple of really important components of, components to this. One is, you know, you you really have to you have to sell vision, but ultimately, what what your cultural values do is they connect all of your people with your vision, and 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 it 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 teaches us all how how we think and how we behave, and what we're trying to get done, and so vision and values have to be connected, and so I developed a set of values, and there are five Traeger Traeger values that we talk a lot about. And um, I, I sat down with uh, with my with my with my leadership team, and there were a handful of guys that I'd hired from Skull Candy, and we went person by person, and we said, you know, we assessed: do they live the values? Uh, do they want to be a part of this? Uh, are they willing to change? We went through a litany of questions, and um, we probably had 140 people uh, in the company, and uh, I would say. Hundred of them or so were in Oregon, and uh, we selected uh, about a handful to join us to 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 relocate. And it really came down to who lived the values and believed in our vision. And um, if if they didn't, and by the way, I I don't I don't recommend letting an entire company go. You know, it, it's a real like. I, I look back and this is it's the first time I'd ever done it. And I look back and I say, oh my gosh, like I could have broken this 25 year old business. And, um, but I just had this very strong conviction that I needed to rip the bandaid off. Uh, otherwise we would never leave the legacy culture behind. And there are people who are still with us that have been with the business for 12, 15 years. And when you hear them talk about, the experience of coming to Traeger today and how it inspires them and it motivates them relative to where it was, it's one of the most satisfying things in the world. But it required being very deliberate and saying, this is what we believe in. These are the people that we're willing to take with us and everything else. We just have to build and we have to build quickly. So how, you know, from your side, you know, looking at this and it's, it's an amazing story and journey, right? How you're, you know, you talk about vision equals values, which is a key thing, you know, that we all need to understand as we're building our companies. But for you, Jeremy, I mean, when you're going in and this, this opportunity 
this investment is pushed upon your desk and you're looking at it. There's no way to really know, even all the due diligence and research that you can do, you're not going to know all these dead, you know, where the bodies are, where they lie and all the little nuances of this company. And, and so was there a time when you felt, you know, this is overwhelming, this is discouraging. Like, I don't know how, and you alluded to that a little bit on your hike when you were down at, at Zion, but you know, was there a time where you're like, I just need to get out of this. I mean, what, what uh, was it that kept you going? You know what? That's an interesting question. Uh, so I, so first of all, there was, there was a moment like there, there was a very defined moment that happened, um, where, um, uh, we, we, I, we had decided that we were going to um, outsource our supply chain because it didn't scale and it wasn't working very well. And uh, we stood in front of our warehouse team and we said, hey, we're going uh, we're, we're gonna to close this warehouse. We're going to close our three warehouses around the country. And uh, we want to be as respectful as we can be. And we gave them all sorts of, of options and runway severance if they didn't find what they were looking for. And the next time I pulled up to the office at about 7.30 in the morning, I was greeted by fire trucks, police cars, and one of our 18-wheel rigs that had been doused with fuel and, and literally burned, to, burned almost to the ground. And I, now, at the time, I didn't know it was an incident of arson. Uh, I pulled up and I said, my gosh, what is going on here? And uh, 30 minutes into some conversation, it was really clear that uh, this was done intentionally, uh, and it was done by uh, one or more members of the uh, uh, of of the warehouse team. And I remember saying, I, "I I'm scared. I have no I have no idea what to do in this moment. Uh, people are burning down our trucks, um, and uh, you know I huddled with I huddled with my uh, with my executive team." And uh, it's a glass office and people are walking by and they're saying, what are they talking about? What are they going to do? There's a truck smoldering in the parking lot connected to the warehouse. And, um, you, you know, in this moment, uh, a couple of things happen. One, uh, one of the guys that had been there for almost 30 years pokes his head in the office and he said, hey, I understand something big's going down today. And I'm like, like big, bigger than the. <laughs> Rock that's on fire, and, and then he leaves. And then uh, there was a shooting in a facility in the southeast, in a UPS facility, uh, of someone who had uh, lost a job and came back angry. And like I'm processing all of these things and saying, what the crap am I supposed to do? And I remember yeah. walking into the restroom, like, and I'm just like looking for something to do. Wash my hands, wash my face. I look in the mirror and I say, I do not get paid to do this. I do not know how to fix this, but I sure, I sure as hell know I am not coming back to this place forever. And uh, that was a day I said, we are too far gone from who I want us to be to try to fix these people. And, and I say that respectfully because there were mostly good people there. They just didn't fit the culture that I needed to build. And um, there, there was a moment that day. I mean, like I, I will tell you, the thought crossed my mind of I can walk away from the check I've written for this business and 
I will just be a happier man tomorrow. The only reason why I didn't is that I'd hired a handful of people who were very good friends from Skull Candy, um, and they needed their jobs, and, and I couldn't walk away from them. And I got to tell you, I'm really, really, I'm fortunate and I'm grateful that I didn't walk away. And had I been the only one there, like thinking about burning trucks and I brought in security um, to, to make sure that we didn't get shot in our company meeting, you just don't know. Um, fortunately, I had to stay. I felt an obligation to stay. And it's something that I've thought about. And this is like... This is one of the harder things I think to figure out in a career. How long do you stay and grind and grind and grind if it's the wrong experience, if it's the wrong opportunity? And how much do you say, there are certain things that I need to do that are unpleasant, but once I get beyond them, then I can create this. And uh, Traeger is by far my, my best career experience. And um, I could have left. And I, I honestly, I don't have the answer to that question. I just think it's something that, that, that you know, we all need to, to think about. And there's more art than science. But I can tell you about times where I stayed too long. I stayed at Skull Candy too long. I hated running a public company. And, and I stayed too long. Um, but um, I almost stayed too short at Traeger. And so it was... Um, what, but but what it allowed me to do, as opposed to like swapping people in and out one at a time, it allowed me to say, I'm ripping the Band-Aid off and everything I build is rooted in culture. And honestly, that is the reason why business that took 26, 27 years to get to, to $70 million of revenue six years later is doing $600 million of revenue. It's because I built something that was rooted in culture and my team does extraordinary things every day and I don't ask them to do any of them. And that's culture. Like they, you, just, you, you can't replicate that. No, you can't. And, and what I love that you said, Jeremy, it's interesting because anyone that's been an entrepreneur, leader, business owner, there's the ups and downs. And it seems that, you know, it can change every five minutes, right? Everything's going great. Then five minutes later, you know, everything's going down. And maybe most of us have not experienced where, you know, just that that difficulty ripping the Band-Aid off, that turnover of here you are trying to change culture. Now, there, you know, there's arson, there's shootings. I mean, it, it's so catastrophic that you know, but but you said some things that are really important, right? There was an obligation, you know, there was, you know, uh, the one thing as an entrepreneur, a leader, you can't focus on failures, right? You can't, you have to have, you know, most entrepreneurs are positive people. They just have a ability to put things aside, you know, understand it, utilize it, learn from it, you know, but again, you know, if you can get to the point where now you fast forward to where you are now, Jeremy, in your company, that if you're consistent with your vision and values, that now you have people that are so uh, feel so empowered that they can be successful, that now they're building that brand with you and for you. And that's how you can really enjoy that growth as a company. You know, it's, uh, it's spot on. And, and I will tell you that I, I don't say any of these with um, the presumption that I figured it all out. Um, I am a work in progress and 
the, the place where I find the most uh, joy in my career is learning from my mistakes and not making them again, learning to do things better. And I, I had some I had some real soul searching when I left Skull Candy. Skull Candy moved so fast. It was always ahead of my capability and my experience. And um, I, I, I had the ability to spend a year thinking about and writing about my experience. And by the way, there, there of course you want to take the good with you as well. But there were more mistakes than, than that I made as a leader than there were positives. And only I know that because again, I I buried the dead bodies. You know, I know I knew exactly what they were. And when I came to Traeger, I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this better. I'm going to be a better leader. I'm going to be more effective. And it was actually never about the money for me. Now, I have three private equity partners, and it is about the money for them. <laughs> that that's that's their business. And fortunately, being good at your craft, being a good leader, being a culture builder, and being being willing to acknowledge the things that you haven't done well and fix them, that's ultimately the recipe for creating value and making money. But you know, some of my proudest moments of Traeger are actually not related to the success that we've had. They're actually more related to things that I've done differently because I learn from my mistakes and they're, they're working better because I learn from them. And, um, you know, I, and I, I think that's, I think that's one of the formulas for loving a career. I mean, like if I were to look back 20 years from now and say that I never got better than I was at Traeger, that would be a disappointment because I, I will not have found growth and growth is like stretching ourselves and growth that's ultimately where we find inspiration and we get better. And so uh, that to me has been the great part about Traeger. And there, there's, there's, there was an instance uh, in particular where I hired early on, I hired someone who was really good. He came from this great American brand. It was everything that I wanted Traeger to become. And he was really good at what he did. And he got on the inside and he wasn't a good cultural fit. He just, he just wasn't a good cultural fit. And I remember thinking, you can't make this mistake again. Like you can't do this again. Shame on you if you do this again. And we let him go. And it was the right thing to do. And he's not a bad guy. But um, some of these things as a leader, there, if there is a willingness and a humility to recognize what you did wrong and to do it better, it's actually a really satisfying experience. No, I love that you said that. I mean, Jeremy, it's so important as a leader. When you think about, um, and, and it's the same topics, you know, we have with our team. We're going to make mistakes that, you know, all of us are imperfect and especially in our industries, uh, you know, where there's a lot of crossover and similarities. You know, in construction, you're building things. In manufacturing, you're building things. Pro, you know, there's going to be miscommunication with clients and vendors and customers. It is the day to day. So we make mistakes, but let's track them. Let's audit them. Let's have an autopsy at the end and figure out how and why. And then let's not make them again. Right. And that's, you know, the willingness and humility, you know, to recognize that as an owner and not make that same mistake. You know, it's so important. And and Jeremy, you mentioned the comment that when you were at School Candy, you had talked about going public and how that really changed the culture there. You know what? 
you've been through that. So when you're a private company and you have a little more flexibility on the product and it's maybe not so driven at the bottom line, you know, how does that mentality, how does the business change when a company does go public? You know what? Um, going public's a hard thing. I mean, it's uh, like you, you, everybody says they will not be the CEO that focuses on the quarter and until Wall Street puts like all this pressure on start to think, ah, if I can just hit this quarter, if I can just hit this quarter, what if I cut my spend a little bit? What if I, and like all of these things turn out to be death by a thousand paper cuts. And um, what, 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 what I learned, and, and this is a phrase that I make, and, and, and it's important to me, as a leader, you have to protect culture with your life. There is nothing more important you do than protecting culture. Because as soon as you start to make short-term decisions um, to hit to hit goals, to hit quarters, that's not to say that it's not important to hit your goals. It is. It's not to say that delivering the quarter doesn't matter. But whenever you make you take shortcuts around the foundational components of your business, you're going to pay for it later. You got to pay the piper eventually. And so it's something that um, you, you know it's a. Uh, it's been interesting. I've had this conversation with uh, my my P partner when they said, "Hey, what do you think about taking Traeger public?" And part of me says, "Oh, oh, that just makes me sick to think about." The other part says, "To be able to do it better the second time and never fall into this short-term mindset would be really interesting." And I remember sitting down with my private equity partner um, before we partnered on Traeger. And I said, I want to be really clear that I'm going to do the right thing for this business every day. And it will be, it, it, it will be independent of who owns it when. And some of these investments will harvest well. You're, you're our partner. You're my partner and, and, and you're an owner. And some of them will just carry on to the, to the next owner. But we're going to do the right thing. And this has been all of the difference. Having a long-term mindset has been incredible. You know, we, we had years of growth and then 2018 came along for us. It was a hard year. Uh, we had low cost competition. We had a lot of knockoffs uh, for the currency went against us. Steel got expensive. Transportation got expensive. And 2018 was, was a hard year for us. And I remember sitting down with my, with my partner, private equity partner, and we said, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to double down on product innovation and we're going to double down on brand and we're going to keep building our team. And their response was, we support it. And you know what? In, in a prior Jeremy life, Jeremy 1.0, I would have said, we got to like our, 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 our earnings are going backwards. We've got to cut, 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 cut. And it would have made the year felt better, but our success in 2019 was like it was asked it was astronomical because we doubled down on the thing and then 20 has gotten better and we actually started innovating in 2018 what we're launching next year and it's just like it's it's game changing and had we not done that we just we would have been a different place so you know this this notion of um always stepping back and asking yourself what is the right thing for this business long term and how do I balance my short-term needs with, with, with our long-term vision as opposed to becoming so obsessed with today? 
I, I love that you said that, Jeremy. I mean, it's interesting that here you are, haven't understood taking a company public, and we know that it's a lot about the bottom line. And then you alluded to this, that most of the time when that happens, you're looking at short-term decisions right to net numbers, whereas you can't cut the culture. You can't change the end-all vision. That's most important. You safeguard that. Things will work out. And I, I love that you said you doubled down. You know, you doubled down on product, on innovation, on branding. You know, which is so key. And by doing that, by getting more creative, by being um, a little more, you know, having better foresight of what's upcoming for the company, now you've taken that next leap that, you know, you said Jeremy 1.0 would not have done that. So that's just proof in the pudding right there. You know, so what are some things you did branding wise that changed that? Did you work with, you know, um, influencers? Did you work with, you know, other companies? You know, how did that marketing campaign change, you know, in the last few years? You know what? So, so one of the uh, foundational principles that that we've developed is around getting our customers to be our best evangelists. And it's 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 one thing where silent salesmen. So I'll tell you one thing. So silent salesmen is people that sell your brand that aren't on your payroll, right? Which is oh, one my gosh. It's so powerful, and like, it's it's one thing for a company to market itself, and you have to do it. Uh, but it's so much more credible and authentic when your customers do it for you. Yep. And so this has been a real, uh, this has been an evolution of our strategy. And everything we do is about building a community where our customers, um, they, they, they're just, they're so bought into the Traeger lifestyle and community that they do the work for us. And that, that doesn't mean we're lazy about it. It means that our strategy is very different and, and we utilize social media so much and we motivate our users to be passionate and upload content. And, and we do that a lot of different ways, but that's been an interesting, that's been a really unique approach for our business. And it is so incredibly different than our largest competitor who is stodgy and old and they don't use social media well and they don't create content. They sell steel. They sell they they weld and bend and sell steel. And we sell lifestyle and experience. And and turns out we both we both, we both sell grills. But for us, that is a means to an experience. And for them, that is a transaction. Well, and, well, uh, well it's funny you say that, Jeremy, and if I start to interrupt you, but what's interesting, when you study marketing and branding, they say you don't focus on the product, you focus on the emotional journey, right? And you've done that social media. One thing that I've noticed that's different about Traeger out of any company in any industry, right? I see people uploading recipes. They're doing the social media. There's a community, hey, I have a Traeger, get one. You know, I you know, I used to smoke, but now I have the best burger and it's so simple, right? But there's, you know, a taste there. And so the product is great, but it's the lifestyles, the convenience of the camaraderie, the recipes, you know, that group share that you're seeing out there. That's everything. Like we're 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 building community. I mean, our 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 brand, our brand promise, is around bringing people together around great food experiences, and that means we have to do more than sell steel. Um, it, that's actually minimum threshold. That's just a ticket to the ball game, and uh, it's been interesting to watch during uh, you know during this COVID nineteen phase where. Our customers are so engaged on social media right now because they're kind of locked down. <laughs> and so we've built this platform where 
they can feel connected to the community and we have their full attention. And it's been such a cool experience to watch that engagement just go through the roof. And um, it's, um, you know, it's a different model for a grill business. And by the way, this is part of the reason why when I first found Traeger, I turned it down because I looked at the grilling space and I said, it's just bent steel. It's so commoditized. Like, how do we make a difference? And then I had this moment of realization, which is these are the industries that you want to disrupt. When, when you can see the world differently and you can create an experience and a brand that stands above the others, you'd love to come into, uh, in, in, into an industry that, that's just sort of, uh, it's, it's boring and, and it hasn't innovated. And, you know, this is, and this is not just a, this is not just a consumer product mentality. I truly believe this is a mentality for any business. If you can step back and think about disrupting the customer journey and the customer experience in a positive way, chances are you're going to be successful because, you know, what companies do is, is they grow, they, they get into routines and patterns and they forget to reinvent themselves and so what they focus on is more of it how do i optimize how do i do this faster how do i do this cheaper and um, that only works so long before someone comes in and says hold on how about i do this differently how about i do this better and um, that's cultural and that that's a cultural value how do i how do I question the status quo? And that's not for a CEO. That is a value for everyone. How do I do this better and deliver a better experience to the end customer? Jeremy, I mean, there's no perfect way to close and how you stated that, you know, as a disruptor and you think about, you know, Uber, Tesla, Traeger, these companies that are disruptors to their industries. And why is that? Because you focus on the customer journey in a positive way, right? Create that emotional journey, you know, and find a way to disrupt. So, Jeremy, I mean, I can't thank you enough for making time. You've This whole conversation, you provided so much information and things that any business can apply. So what's exciting for Traeger? What's next? Where can our listeners find you and the Traeger products? So what's upcoming and, and what are some of your social media handles, websites? Yeah, uh, so uh, Traeger Grills on, uh, on Instagram, um, Jeremy Andrus on Instagram. Uh, you'll see a lot of Traeger, but you'll get a bit of, bit of a view behind the scenes of like a, a very insane uh, household of uh, <laughs> six kids, eight years apart. Um, you, you know what? Uh, my wife, Kristen Andrus, um, she is uh, she never intended to be an influencer, but she started she started posting recipes on Instagram, and people started following them. And so, uh, look, I, we 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 would love to uh, we'd always love to have someone join the community, whether you own a Traeger or not. It's a fun community. Come, uh, come be part of it. I love that. Well, thank you. Well, we've been fans for a long time, as you know, and I mentioned that in the conversation. And we'll put all your social media tags and handles and, and can't wait to follow along the journey. So thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Again, a big thanks to Jeremy for making time to come on with us today. And as a recap, there was so much information there. Hopefully it brought a lot of value to all of you listening. But what I really appreciated was when he talked about a 2018 as the economy was changing with competitors and product, you know, what they, they, you know, Jeremy 1.0 would have taken that and said, hey, you know, let's just cut costs. Let's figure out how to be more efficient. 
with production and shipping. And what he did, he said, no, let's double down. Let's double down on marketing, on lifestyle, on innovation, on new product. And, and what he's done is now he can launch those. Here we are two years later, and Traeger's really taken off with these concepts and innovation and that mindset and how important it is to really double down on your company, make marketing a priority, and then understand that culture, guard it with everything. So a big thanks to Jeremy. 